Welcome to Strength in the Numbers. My name is Andrew Codd, accountant, author, and commercial finance entrepreneur. And it's my job each week to bring you leaders in finance and business and deconstruct with them their real stories, insights, and hard-won lessons into practical advice on the key strengths and qualities you need to remain relevant in accounting and finance today, as well as the steps you can begin to take to elevate the impact you make to have a fun, successful, and rewarding career in accounting and finance. Now let's go over to the show. These challenges are, we all face them. We face them in different ways. The other nice thing is whatever challenge you're facing, somebody else is facing it. So I'm a huge believer in build out your support network because the best information you can get is from your peer group. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's Strength in the Numbers. And you might have recognized the voice of this week's guest mentor. Uh, for those of you that haven't, it's actually Brian Kalish. And the reason why Brian is fairly well known in the finance profession is that one, he's got many years experience working in finance, FP&A, Treasury and so on. But he's traveled to all the continents on the world, I think other than Antarctica, you know, to speak to audiences, both large and small, hosting many roundtable events. He's written countless articles. And one of the great things about this week's episode is it's just jam-packed full of stories and examples from the work he's been doing around how we can push forward the evolution of finance in the FP&A profession. Also, why, why we, we need to be a bit more holistic and how we can build for ourselves support structures so that as we progress into the new normal, which nobody really knows what it looks like, we just have a bit more confidence in terms of what we're doing and even simple things about leveraging the right technology and leveraging our support networks such as our peers and so on are going to be key to be able to do this successfully. Now, if you wish to connect with Brian, check out more about what we talk about, the resources mentioned, key quotes and so on. You can find that and more at sitnshow.com. And today's episode is around a special one also. It's episode number 300. So a big thank you for those of you who've been with us on that journey from when we started. Really appreciate your support. And also for those that have only started listening recently, thank you for your interest with Strength in the Numbers. And if you've got any questions, comments, recommendations for future guests or topics, please reach out to us on our website or LinkedIn page. We're easy to find, hashtag SITN. And we look forward to hearing from you and continuing the conversation together. So look, that's enough for me. So without further ado, over to Brian and the show. Brian, welcome to the show. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I wish I were with you in Ireland today. I, I know, yeah, we were just talking about that off air. It would be a lovely, lovely to be able to do that. But in these times with, of remote meetings and remote podcasts, you know, it's great that you're such a busy schedule that you're able to make time for us. Um, now, the thing is, some of our audience are going to be very familiar with you, but some maybe not so. So would you mind maybe giving a brief introduction to your career in accounting, finance and FP&A? Sure. So I'm Brian Kalish. I'm, I'm located here in, in Washington, D.C. in the USA. I've had the pleasure of knowing Andrew for a little while. It's great. Thank you for the invite. Love, love talking to people. I mean, it's always funny to do one's history, but basically I'm an engineering student who realized late in their collegiate career that I was interested in finance. And it's made a lot of sense because it's helped me in finance because at the end of the day, it's all about math and problem solving. So one of the things that's been interesting just in the work that I've done, I, I wouldn't say it's a majority, but I've seen a plurality of people that are involved in FP&A and financial planning and analysis actually have an engineering background. And I think it makes a lot of sense because math and problem solving. So my career really, I've spent uh, on the corporate side, it was really for financial services companies here in the Mid-Atlantic region of the United States, uh, typically very large organizations. I mean, the largest organization, I worked for a bank for banks, 
So if you think about assets of the organizations, that's how you typically look at a bank. Uh, the largest was like 1.3 trillion in size. Really was focused on treasury and in FP&A and investor relations. And then about a dozen years ago, I had the opportunity to go to a professional society to actually create an FP&A practice, for, a global FP&A practice for the benefit of the profession. So, you know, one of the kind of little jokes we make about FP&A is that nobody, it's kind of like a, a fast food restaurant here in the United States called Denny's. Nobody goes to Denny's, you end up at Denny's. And I think that's kind of how FP&A is set up in the sense that, you, you know, you don't earn a degree in it. So when you're in university, you're not familiar with it. There's no organization that you join versus there's treasury organizations and accounting organizations and risk organizations. There's actually not a global FP&A organization. Managerial accounting has organizations. And then it's not well-defined. And I mean, sometimes it's just as simple as the fact is that FP&A has three words. It's almost one of the few other the human resources has two, but it's usually sales or marketing or accounting, right? So by definition, it's a little funny. I mean, I spend most of my time when I when people ask me what I do, if I say financial planning analysis, they ask they think it's wealth management, right? They're not thinking about it at a corporate level. It's like I can't help you with your portfolio. Again, had the wonderful opportunity to create that practice in addition to my previous investor relations work. It got me all around the world. I've tried to move away from saying things are funny. I was like, I'll tell you, you know, people say, well, I'm going to tell you a funny story. It's like, well, no, I'll tell you a story. You'll determine if it's funny or not. As I refer to, I've been to five of the six continents. Uh, I don't really count Antarctica because I don't think they're going to, the penguins are that interested in FP&A. And then my joke is I've never been to Australia, but that's because of the language barrier. But it's been wonderful, right? I mean, I, I don't have another word other than saying blessed that I've had this opportunity to, to work around the world. And then about, I guess just about five years ago now, I started my own consultancy. It's really helping people, uh, and maybe we'll dive a little bit deeper into it, but it's really trying to help organizations create a culture of analytics for data-driven decision-making. So that's what I do right now. So I work with clients around the world in different components from people, process, technology, and culture, but just trying to help people move along that FP&A curve to solve the problems that they need solved. That's interesting because you sort of preempted my next question, Brian, which is yep. really sort of how did you see FPNA evolving and I think you use the key word there culture is that because obviously you know when you're deconstructing something you look at the people process and technology there and, and you sort of work it out but I don't know I don't know if we place enough focus on culture do, do you feel that's been the main trend or movement towards towards a, a FPNA's development or is there something else driving it I mean culture kills if you don't have what we consider like a consumer of analytics then it doesn't matter all the anal, mm. uh, you know, all, all the work that That's we do. If nobody cares what we're doing, I mean, you know, I can sit there and say, oh, you should move to a rolling forecast, but if no one's going to use it to make a decision, it has no purpose. And so you see it both ways. So I've got, for, so just using clients as an example, you know, you'll come into an environment where management realizes they need to change. Well, you know, all of a sudden I've got the, you know, the wind in my sails, you know, because I've got, I've got a mandate from above. Another one I'll show you, you know, when you think about, and hopefully we'll talk about a little bit with RPA, robotic process automation, it's being pushed by audit. You know, they're saying these processes, it's crazy that you have people touching these, you know. And so when you can get, you know, management behind it or audit behind it. Audit, yeah, big time. That's one cultural battle. If on the other hand, management doesn't want it, they, you know, they, we have personas that we look at what FP&A can be doing. And if they look at FP&A as report generators, 
it's really tough to move up the curve because you've got to have, because you're going to want to spend money, you know, your resources. And so if there's some, if then nobody believes in it, what I think's really happened in between what we affectionately refer to BC before COVID and, and now is that a lot of those cultural walls or barriers have been knocked down. So I, I think we've discussed this in the past where all of a sudden Zoom meetings were forbidden. I mean, I know companies that didn't believe in telework at all, right? If you weren't there, it was interesting. I was just a happy hour with, with some friends last week and someone's, they were working remotely. They got a new CEO and or CFO and they said, okay, I want to bring everyone in. Well, she lived two hours away from work each way. And so she's like, well, either I'm working remotely or I'm quitting because I'm not, I'm not signing up for a four hour commute. Well, that's all gotten knocked down. So I, and the fact that what worked yesterday doesn't really work today. And so I think the willingness to try new things, the willingness to understand where process is almost never a burning platform, right? Even if it's a bad process, we just throw more people at it. But now when you're in a situation of saying, well, no, we can't answer that question. Why? Well, because we don't have the right people with the right tools, you know, in the right environment. People are like, okay, how do we do that? Because you touch on too. I look at our current environment, very similar to being in a military conflict, right? Okay. One of my little analogies that I think about is World War II. And the point being that when the war started, we were flying biplanes. If anyone's ever seen the movie Sink the Bismarck, you know, it was these incredible British pilots that were flying these open cockpit, you know, single torpedo. And that's what that's what knocked the damage the Bismarck. But we, that's what we started the war with, literally biplanes. At the end of the war, we had jets. Well, at the end of the war, we didn't say, oh, well, we don't need jets anymore. So we're going to go back to biplanes. But we were in an environment where we didn't need fighter jets all over the place. But we learned a lot, right? The technology improved, innovation improved. And what happened? Well, within four years, which was the first commercial jet airliner, I think to have one produced it. So you went from 1939 to 1949, biplanes to people were traveling around the world in jets. That's what I think is happening right now, right? Is that so much innovation is being developed, like forecasting, for example. Maybe you were forecasting once a month, and that was good. That's probably, you know, top half of the class. Well, you might be in, and maybe it took you three hours to do the forecast. So you're like, okay, the process is fine. Three hours, once a month, no big deal. But if you're being asked to do that forecast every day, and it's taking you three to four hours, that's all you're doing. So you realize probably... When we come out of, when we get to get out of the new normal and get into the new, new normal, probably you're not going to have to forecast every day because the world isn't changing that, that, you know, velocity, but you're probably not going to go back to once a month because you've already figured out you can do it every day. Maybe it's every two weeks, right? But you're going to want to have new tools with people with new skills and new procedures to do that. So I think that's just really, we're in this point where it's, we were moving the new needle before, but it's just been accelerated because of the health crisis. That, that's that's a really interesting way of looking at looking at it, Brian. And actually, I'm, I'm glad you used the World War II analogy. I came across another good one from the Napoleonic Wars, actually, with uh, Nelson's uh, victory. So, um, so I, I love the analogies being used in finance now. I think it's really, really awesome. <laughs> but, but uh, I think a battle a lot of our, I suppose, our audience are having is yes, it's great. Some of them are getting it. Some of them have benefited from that mo- needle moving. Others are still struggling with management, maybe not getting it. And they're worried their business might go out if they if they only just enhance their ability to to invest in some analytics or some tools to make it faster, more more responsive, uh, better predicting. 
I mean, look, a short of leaving the company <laughs> before yeah. it's impending doom. Is is there anything those people, uh, those in our profession, our community, battling with that scenario with a a culture that doesn't quite get it yet? Is there anything that they can do internally to move the needle uh, a bit faster in the right direction? Absolutely. So it was interesting you made the point. Yeah, there is a point, unfortunately, where I've gone into companies and I'm like, you probably should leave, right? I mean, it doesn't look, you know, you know someone who wants to provide you know very high level analytics and nobody wants them. Yeah, I mean, as an individual, as a professional, yeah, there is a point where you sit there and say, okay, I'm I'm not enjoying my work. I should I should yes, leave. exactly. Yeah, but we'll take the other one. How do you win the battle or move the battle? And so what we usually do, and because the tools have changed so dramatically, you know, it's the the beauty of the cloud, just over ten years old, but it's finding small wins. So like something like whether it's automation, for example, is find some little simple process that, and because the cost of doing it has dropped so dramatically is if you can show people a five, you know, I can save five minutes and people, well, who cares if you can save five minutes? Yeah, but if I have a thousand people that are saving five minutes, boom, that's a tremendous impact. Same thing on the analytics side, right? If you can start providing answers to questions the organization has always had and never been able to do, people are gonna be interested in what you're doing. So that's one of the things that we do you know, in, in the work that I do is that we have, we're very big on proof of concept. We want to take, we say the most powerful argument you can make is tell us a business case you have, and let's see if we can solve it for you. And if we can, then when we present that to management to get approval, to do a pilot, they're like, oh, we never thought we could do that before. So, you know, whether it's on the robotic side, whether it's on, because these are the areas I've really been focused on over the last six, seven months is robotics and data analytics. If all of a sudden you can show people that we can see on, on the business analytics side, it's relatively new technology, just the importance of what's called. And, and what's funny is, so I'm a finance person, but I talk about technology a lot because it's a tool to let us do what we need to do, but I'm not a technology person, but it's this whole concept of direct data mapping. And so it's the idea that we can take this tremendous amount of data that we have you know, existing today. I mean, we're up to what's called brontobytes of data. It's 10 to the 27th power that we deal with. So it's interesting. I think Gartner came out and said about 80% of all data is dark. 93% of all unstructured data is dark. So the question is, you know, if you can start taking that data, providing insights, creating knowledge to help the business make a better, faster, smarter decision, they're going to be interested. And so the argument being, sorry if this is a little bit of a long answer to a short question, but if you can start answering questions they they have, not us saying, hey, this is how it can help you. Tell me a problem to solve. Let's see if we can move towards it. Then you get the buy-in, right? Because it's really hard to turn down good insight. You know, you're telling me if I spend some money, I can get more of this? I'm interested in. So whether it's on the communication side, for example, I'm a big believer in this concept of IBCS, International Business Communication Standards. It's a philosophy. But it's like how you build better presentations, better reports, better dashboards. And when people see it, I'm like, just do it in your group. Someone's going to see what you do. And they look at it and go, oh, my God, that's fantastic. What we're making is garbage. You impress people by the output. And so that's how I think you do it is if you can start showing people how to do things better, it doesn't need to be enterprise wide. We know that's tough. If If you start an initiative and it takes 12 months to see any results, it's very hard to get approval for that. But if you're talking about like in two weeks, I can show you some insight you didn't have yesterday. 
people will become interested in it. And what's great about it is because it's it's really system agnostic. It's not like you have to go in and build a new system. It's just taking what you had and making it better. Look, there's so so much in there, Brian. There's so many nice nice examples. I'm going to try and summarize them best I can because I think you started with an example there around automation, operational efficiency. I I mean, personally, I think a lot of our heads are still caught in those days and improving that, but at least it moves the agenda forward. And then I think that then, like as you said, it is analytics. There's so many opportunities. And particularly if we're doing something or bringing insights that solves a, a business scenario, a business case, or even a, a question that someone has, and just even on a small scale. And it's not stopping there. It's like one, you deliver that, that outcome, that output, but then it's scaling across outcomes. So does that work in another business unit? Does that work elsewhere? Does that work across a team? And playing with that and so well, how much would that, and the investment cost, the barriers to entry in this are very low nowadays. Yes. Mm-hmm. So the new normal is a very exciting, uh, a probably scary time for some of us as well in finance, but you know, it's, it's where we are. Uh, I suppose as we're progressing and accelerating through this new normal, I think there's something you've talked about before is the new, new normal. What's that potentially going to look like for our audience? You know, obviously in businesses that are very busy right now, they know that this pace of business is going to continue. So on the, you know, the do-it-yourself companies, you know, everyone, it's not just in the United States, it's in Ireland and around the world. Everyone's doing every project they ever thought of in their house, but they know, management knows that that's not going to last. And so to the extent that they're able to, you know, run different scenarios, forecast, be able to look at their data in real time and look for those pivot points, right? So what it's going to look like, they don't know. But what you want to do is start looking for when those inflection points are, when we can start seeing a difference in trend. Part of the challenge that we've had, and again, this isn't a function of size. That's one of the things I love about FP&A is it's truly universal, right? It doesn't matter where in the world you are, public, private, industry, the size of the business. It's These challenges, are we all face them. We face them in different ways. The other nice thing is whatever challenge you're facing, somebody else is facing it. So I'm a huge believer in build out your support network because the best information you can get is from your peer group. Yeah, definitely. But I think what, what people are looking at is what is that new world going to look like? So again, another example from a client. So a smaller uh, here in the U.S., we've gone to a lot more home delivery and not so much typically people go to the store, buy their stuff, right? With, I mean, that's one of the things that we've yeah. seen. So you've seen this uptick in home delivery. Well, it was interesting. They say, you know, it's like, oh, so how's that affecting you? It's like, oh, it's terrible because the cost is so high for them because they don't have a, they were, they don't have a distribution center in the sense that their trucks were all bringing the product to the stores. And so for yeah. them, they're loading their shelves. And then when they get an online order, they're taking someone who's literally going around the store and filling the order and putting it. So you're, the last thing you ever want to have with inventory is you're touching it twice. And so their question is, how much of business is going to stay in this online home delivery that yes. we may have to build our own distribution center? right? It's going to, how is that going to change the business? So that's what everyone's trying to figure out. Obviously, we don't know the answers right now. The other thing that's changed so dramatically is you take companies that were really cutting edge um, and they've actually had to take steps back. And the example for that would be a pharmaceutical company. Uh, It's actually Europe headquartered, but their North American operations are in Atlanta, Georgia, or, or here in the U.S., and they were actually pretty cutting edge. They were actually pretty far up the curve in using artificial intelligence. 
Um, and so I, I spoke with them about a week ago and I said, how's that working out? They're like, oh, we turned it all off. I'm like, what? It's like, well, artificial intelligence is taking trends and trying to figure out what the future is going to look like. History doesn't tell us. You could have 20 years of great history. You could have been as in, in February, know your market completely, look for all those little inflection points, understand how that's going to affect your business, right? From, from a marketing perspective, from a pricing perspective, supply chain, inventory control, all those things. Well, it doesn't tell you what's going to happen next month. And so then you go back to, oh, it's all about data analytics, right? How fast can I get to my, my data? How fast can I turn it into insight to, you know, transform it into knowledge that ends up making a business decision? You know, even BC before COVID, last holiday season in the United States, we have a really big sale that happens after thanks in November for the holiday season called Black Friday. Well, a very large retailer did terrible. They had too many discounts, but they didn't know they had too many discounts till a week later, right? That's as fast as they could find out. And they're like, oh, we didn't need, to, you know, you look at the sales and say, we priced it too cheaply and it was, you know, but if they could have seen that in real time, they could have mitigated that, that impact. And that's what everyone's trying to do. It's, it's, and I think you've heard me say this before, Andrew, it's, it's all about speed to insight at the speed of thought. I love that expression. I really do. In fact, actually, I you know I really love also about what you just said, Brian, is where you started. It's actually us sharing across peers what's working and what's not. Because I was thinking about that example, the retailer. What if they'd in, spoken to an airline company with an advanced yield management system where they dynamically price based on the demand for particular flights or routes? I know the world's changed a bit now, but they're learning so when things were going rather well for them and bring that in. You know, then you're getting real time up to the date pricing. If you can get to the data and you can now, that's the difference. I'm so... and, and there's whole disciplines that have you know, sprouted up around this. So that, that's really exciting to see. There's another one as well where actually, I've, I lost my train of th- thought on it. Yeah, that was it. Again, there's this sort of mathematics around dynamic resource based allocation. Mm-hmm. And it's, it wasn't advanced artificial intelligence, but actually what it was, was just using things like triangles and geometry to figure out what the next best decision was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something we can work out from our high school or our middle school or, or when we were at school. It's basic math to make, you know, really important decisions. So it's like, you know, this stuff is fairly accessible now where it might not have been, you know, uh, decades ago or ever even just before COVID. Yeah. So, it's, so it's really exciting times. I did have another question for you, Brian. I know we talk about FP&A, but I was wondering with all the focus on the business now, is FP&A a risk or should it, you know, become known as BPA, business planning and analysis? So it's funny. If you're interested, I will send you an article I wrote on that. <laughs> so it I is. did not know that. <laughs> so I, I, now I'm glad I asked the expert on it, right? You wrote an article on no, it. No, so, hardly so the expert. But no, but it's funny. So I, I do write a little bit. If anyone's interested, I'm sure that the Andrew can put it, tie it to, to this piece here. You know, should it business planning and analysis or financial planning and analysis? And you see them both. It's part of the challenge that we deal with, right? Because, you know, we don't have these debates about what else marketing should be called, what else should accounting be called, but because the definition is still somewhat nebulous. And FP&A by far far is not a majority, it's probably a plurality, but I mean, it can fall under finance, it can fall under controller, especially outside the United States, the controller has has much more of a, a management financial role than an accounting role. It's open. I think though, for... 
at the end of the day, the discussion we made is if you're in the finance department, then it should still be FP&A. It's not saying that other parts of the business don't do analytics. It's just that our focus is really on the financial component of it. Whereas people can do sales you know, analytics and marketing analytics, and that's not really what our focus is. So no, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's a real thing. Maybe I'm just a little biased or older, whatever the world we want to do. If you're in finance, you still want that word finance in there because it really does define what we're doing. It does give it that badge of sort of independence, objectivity. You know, we, we're probably not bash any other departments are probably not as biased, perhaps. No, I mean, that's a, I mean, that's an important part when I mean, we really should be the referee or the official, right? That whether we're not tied to the success of a department because our role should be looking at things in a very holistic approach. And when we see a product line isn't working, well, if you're the owner of that product line, you have a very different agenda than yes. someone who's analyzing its value as a part of the, the greater um, sum of the organization. So, exactly. you know, I mean, when, you know, at some point we can talk about structure and how FPNA should be set up. It should it be centralized or decentralized and what are your, you know, who, who should you be reporting to? But no, I'll send that link along to you that you can share with the audience. But yeah, it was just literally the question of, because it's come up before, is it should, because it's broader, right? We're helping the business. But at the end of the day, we should be reporting to the CFO. And so we are in finance. Well, no, that's great. And I think, you know, I think folks listening in should be proud of the F. Yeah. <laughs> proud of the finance. So, so, yes, it's great. It's great to take our, our tools of the trade and help the rest of the business and deliver better business outputs and outcomes. But, you know, the F is there for a reason. And it's a, it's a damn good one at that. So, so, so Brian, seriously, I really loved our chat. Great advice you've been sharing with audience. In terms of yourself, though, what's been the best bit of advice you've ever received? So I'm cheating a little bit because we I took a few notes as I was preparing for today because I probably I'm one of those people who typically over prepare because it's you know it's it's asymmetric risk in the sense that you know, <laughs> you know there's very little there's very little penalty to being over prepared uh, versus under prepared but the best piece of advice and I was really really fortunate that early in my career I had a great mentor actually my, one of my first bosses was was one of my best mentors that I had. And so my piece of advice, again, not necessarily FP&A, but just business in general, is realize that the people that you're doing business with outside your organization are doing it because of the chair that you sit in. They're not your friends. They're doing business with you because they're trying to make money. And it's just, it's not that, it's, I'm not saying that in any kind of bad way, and it's not saying that you can't make friends with some people, but understand you know the basic question are you doing business because it's me or are you doing it business because the, what i say the chair that you sit in or the title that you have or the role that you have and just understand that you are performing a function for the organization but when you leave someone is going to take that seat tomorrow and that business is going to continue so you know always you know again when you're thinking about it from a business perspective, because it's real easy to become friends and especially, you know, uh, early. And again, part of it was very early in my career. I was in a trading environment. So everyone wants to do business with you because everyone can make money off of you. And so it was very important to understand that when all these very big New York investment banks are, you know, saying, you know, hey, let's you know, do all these fun things together. Let's spend time together. They're trying to make money off of you. 
And it's not necessarily you, it's the position that you hold, it's the authority that you have at the organization, it's the responsibility that you have at the organization. But see if they take your phone calls if you say, you know, I'm, I'm leaving tomorrow to pursue a teaching career. It, to me, that was really important just to understand, especially as a young person. And again, it was a situation where being relatively young, but put in a position of rather significant authority and responsibility to have that grounding, to understand that these people that have been doing it for 20 and 30 years, again, not that they're bad people, but understand the dynamic of business. When you just ask a question, that's kind of one of the things I thought about. Like, you know, and again, there's been lots of, I always like on these questions, I was like, just one, I'm like my answer to everything, just one. But, but that to me, that that's what really jumped out at me. Well, Brian, it's just one because if if, if the, the folks listening and know our backgrounds, you know, we, we can talk. So we have to keep it delivered to one. We have the, you know, we have the gift of the two of us. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's exactly as we say here, you know. And uh, yeah, I don't know if any of your audience kissed the Blarney Stone. I, I was told as a kid I, I, I kissed it a few times, apparently. So, you know, um, yeah, sorry. Uh, I, I should apologize in advance, you know, warn you, but uh, yeah, we could talk a bit. So, um, but, but no, that, that, that's great advice. It actually reminds me of something I've sort of been sharing with a lot of our younger professionals. And it's, I think it tends to be more, more those earlier in their careers, Brian, um, just to appreciate that we've our own identities and not to get that consumed into the role or the role to inform our identity. It, it's a separate thing. So if our role performance isn't probably where we expect it to be, it's no reflection on us as, as human beings or as ourselves. You know, we still are who we are. We're unique enough because we've got our strengths and there's a lot of value we can offer. It just might mean we need to be in a different role or doing things slightly differently, but it shouldn't take away from us. I think that's a very key point as well is like just making that separation between the chair we're sitting in and and who we are as well. So I, I think that's very key advice. Um, I suppose in terms of uh, resources you might have found useful, are there any ones that you could recommend our audience to go check out? Yeah, so it's an interesting, yeah, it's an interesting question. So, so there's kind of a couple ways to look at it. Like if you say like, a, you know, sometimes people say, well, what's the one book that you would recommend? Uh, for me, it's, uh, it's Moneyball by Michael Lewis. And the reason is, is that I actually think it's basically, it wasn't his intent, uh, but it actually explains FP&A. And the idea is really? that you're bringing uh, empirical evidence. It's a story about baseball, and I'm a baseball yeah. nut, so I know I'm here in the U.S. And the sport may not mean some to, me, to many people in the audience because I know this is a global audience. But you know, you have fans, and then the next level of, of intensity would be nuts. And I would definitely fall put myself in a baseball <laughs> nut perspective. And so it's a baseball story, but what it's about is leveraging empirical evidence and analytics to make better, faster, smarter business decisions. And so the trying to just, it's in baseball, it was all on gut feel. You would look at 18 year olds and say, I think they will be a great baseball player, right? Based on experience. So it's not, it's not discounting the experience, but what happened was if you didn't fit that exact box, people wouldn't look at you, right? Cause you didn't check the box off. If you were, if you were short, if you had a funny delivery style, whatever it was. One of the things that, again, not to dive too deeply in the book, but one of the things they found was the metrics they were looking at were wrong. There's a term, if anyone is ever interested, it's called cyber metrics. And it's basically this, the analytics of baseball, because baseball is great because it's over a hundred, other sports too, right? But from a baseball, you know, it's over a hundred years old and we have all this data. They've always mm -hmm. kept stats in baseball. So all of a sudden you can go back and do all this analysis on them. And what they found out was the metrics that they were looking at were wrong. The behavior 
that they were wrong. So you, in the last couple of years, and actually in the sport, again, not to spend too much on baseball, there's all this talk because people are fundamentally changing the way they're playing the game, not because the gut feel would have told you to, but it's the analytics. They're going, oh my gosh, they're looking at probability and you can strip it down to just this level of minutia. But because we have the speed to do it, we have the access to the data, we have the tools to analyze it, we have ways to communicate it, and then we can execute. And so to me, even though it's, you know, you would sit there and you would never find it in the business section, you would never put it under, if you Googled FP&A book, that Moneyball would come up. But to me, it so encapsulates what we do. In the broader sense, I think one of the things that's changed for FP&A is because of the cloud, because there's so many tools that are out there, the decision-making on technology has now fallen onto the FP&A and the finance professional because our IT people don't know what we do. If I could give one piece of advice, your IT people should not be telling you what planning tool to buy, what analytics tool to buy, what forecasting tool to buy, what planning tool to buy. They have no idea what you do. Right. And so you need them to make sure it fits into the infrastructure of your organization. But as far as determining what the proper tool is, that's on us now because we've got the cloud. We've moved out of a world of the big three in Excel to hundreds, if not thousands of products that your IT people don't know anything about. They don't. That's not their world. And it's up to us. So one of the biggest challenges that organizations have is understanding what their choices are. And again, I'm system agnostic, so you can look at that two ways that I, I, I don't endorse anyone, but on the other hand, I work with everyone. So the idea is that, you know, if you talk, tell the vendor, you know, I'll always, you know, this is not just software, this is any product, right? They're always going to overpromise and underdeliver. It goes back to the comment that I made that you commented on about your network. When you're looking at a planning tool, you want to be able to talk to people who are neutral. Tell me the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so, you know, that's one of the things. And people go, well, I'm a finance person. Why should I know about technology? It's like, because the technology is a tool to help you do your job better. And the only one who's going to provide that tool to you, it's you. And so you need to reach out, talk to people. Again, the internet's fantastic because you can put in planning tools and you'll see this plethora. Or again, not an endorsement or you go to something like Gartner, you know, where they've got rankings or other service providers that have rankings of product, but they don't sell a product per se. The other piece that I would say is if you're going down this path and you're looking mm-hmm. for outside help, if you're engaging with a consultant, you want to talk to a consultant that offers a suite of products. Because if they only provide one product, whatever your problem is, it's going to be solved by that product because that's the only way they get paid. And again, not knocking anyone in particular, but you know, again, if you go to outside sources, you just want to make sure they're looking at providing solutions to you and not just tools. Yeah, I think I think that's the holistic point you made earlier, Brian, as well. It's like it's a more broader perspective. And I think that's incumbent on FP&A is to have that more holistic view, end to end view and, and, and focus on a solution as opposed to one part of the solution as well. So. So no, thanks, thanks for sharing sharing those great points. Uh, if our audience wish to continue the conversation, where's the best place to connect with you at? LinkedIn. I'm a huge LinkedIn fan. I think technically LinkedIn consider, considers me a super user, so I'm on some advisory group for them. That's the best place. I mean, again, I work with so many different companies. I find it's just easier to leverage their resources than, than mine. So that's the best place to find me. I don't know how what your experience has been. I'm not. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not on. I'm not on Twitter. Those just 
for me aren't business platforms, but I really find LinkedIn. And again, from a networking perspective, again, not an ad for, for LinkedIn, or I guess technically Microsoft owns them now, I believe not an ad for, for Microsoft either, but it just seems on in the business world, it's the best platform from a networking perspective. I don't know what your opinion on that, if, or if you've seen other ones that you like. Yeah, I mean, short, short of having someone's email address, uh, because you have a mutual connection, LinkedIn is the best way of, of connecting with people. And I think for particularly for those uh, progressing through their careers, it gives a great insight to what's possible in terms of what people are willing to share. And when you reach out to people, they're very much willing to engage in a conversation with you about how they got to where they got to in their role, yeah. and uh, what to learn and maybe offer some tips and help. So Again, I think it's uh, probably an underutilized resource, if anything. As long as you're using it right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as you long know, as you're using all, it we, right, you know, we all get the un unsolicited stuff. But uh, yeah, for the audience, so like, so um, I'm actually an adjunct professor at Florida International University. So I teach classes, I do webinars. There's all sorts. I mean, again, reach out. I mean, especially now that you know we've we've kind of made this pivot to a to a virtual world. So, you know, conferences probably aren't going to happen for a while. I mean, we did a virtual conference, Andrew and I did oh, together, right. which I thought was battle. outstanding. <laughs> and um, so, there, but you just need to, it, you know, it's hard for them to find you. It's a lot easier for people to find, you know, the, the resources that are out there. But I would, I would certainly encourage people to, you know, to, to look at those opportunities um, again, it's, it's, you, you know, again, not that we would ever want to go through what we've gone through for the last seven months, but it has broadened the world in a, in, in a number of ways that all of a sudden you can be in Dublin or you can be in Detroit and attend a conference. I, I, I now use the term, I use the word I'm at something, but with air quotes, you know, it's like I'm, I'm at a conference in Dubai. That's actually where our, our conference was last month. But that's why I was like, I'm in Dubai this morning, but you know, but on the other hand, like I didn't have to get on a plane and, and fly Dubai's 14 hours away from me to present and then leave. So there's a lot of efficiency and same thing for the attendees. I mean, I look forward. Oh, I'm a very, none of this is going to be a shock to the audience. I'm a very gregarious extrovert. So I love traveling. I love, like I said, I've been to five of the seven uh, continents. I've been to, I think, 47 of the U.S. states. So I love travel. I love seeing people. I love spending time with them. I think there's tremendous value. We learn a lot even though you know, technology can help us. So I look forward to you know, a US passport having value again so I can get around the world. <laughs> but the, and you'll hear this all the time about you know, career development. At the end of the day, the onus is on you. The yes. organization can help you. Like I said, I was very fortunate to have mentors that were interested in my development. But if I'm not interested, they would have turned me off very quickly. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it is at the end of the day and the resources have never been greater. I mean, the, the, the power of the internet, again, we can find things. It's not necessarily the right answer, but we now are in a situation that we can always get an answer. Um, but then it's up to us to determine, you know, how valid, how useful that answer is, which again, just to date people a little bit, I lived in a, in a you know, when people say, what's the difference between a, I'm not a hundred years old, by the way, but you know, <laughs> what's the difference between an internet world and a non-internet world is in a non-internet world, we woke up in the morning and had questions and they weren't answered by the end of the day, right? Now, whatever question I have, right? I can, I, it's a couple keystrokes and I'll get an answer. My strong caveat is it might not be a right answer, but I'll get an answer. And then it's up to me to determine whether it's right or not versus going, I had a question, you know, it's seven o'clock in the morning and at 7 p.m. I'm like, I, I didn't learn anything. You know, I didn't answer that question today. 
that's to me what what the, the power so is, is, is is just having again bronto bytes amount of data that's out there that can help us make you know data itself doesn't make the decision right it's the data that we convert and i've actually made a change i used to talk about data converting into information no it's data converting it into insight and it's not a matter of semantics because information is just you know something you don't know insight is something you don't know but is actionable and that's what we care about at the business right everyone on this call you know has tremendous amounts of information that other people on the call don't have but it doesn't necessarily help me make a smarter decision it's those insights that you have so that's what your business partners care about tell me something i don't know that can help me run my business better just don't tell me stuff i don't know that doesn't help me right you're really wasting my time or, or actually even worse tell them something that they don't know but can't do anything about and keep them up at night right <laughs> they're gonna love you for that excellent point <laughs> but no seriously it's been a great conversation right absolutely fantastic loads in there for audience but i suppose before we let you let you off air are there any um any maybe parting thoughts you could share with audience before we wrap up we're all going to get through this right i know in, in lots of parts of the world it, it, it's tough and again we haven't focused that on you know today because that's not the focus we're talking from a business perspective but obviously we're in a very difficult time but we are going to get you know through it and i happen to be of the opinion that we'll actually end up in a better place than where we started because we'll have learned lessons i think you know from a risk management perspective how we manage ourselves is going to improve we understand the need uh i, I think fpna without and again freely admitting i'm horribly biased but i think fpna can go from being valuable to the organization to almost becoming a superhero in the sense that we can have whatever and i truly believe this we can have whatever we want if we're willing to make the investment because as, as andrew was talking about earlier 15 years ago, a completely acceptable answer to a question was we don't know because the data was either physically unobtainable, it cost too much, or by the time we got it, it wasn't timely. We've conquered the, the data battle. Now it's the question of, okay, if we have access to all our data, are we leveraging it to help us make those decisions? I'm of the belief that we do now have those tools. We need to put the right processes in place where organizations in addition to culture will fail is failure to invest in their people, right? Is that we, we buy these tremendous tools, but then we don't put the money and the resources into getting our people up to speed so they can really utilize them to their, their highest level. But that's, again, that's a very different pr pr challenge in saying we can't physically do it versus saying, no, I mean, I believe every question can be answered now. You know, as we move from, you know, from a descriptive to a diagnostic, to predictive, to prescriptive, to ultimately cognitive analytics, I believe it's all achievable today. It's a question of cost and whether if the ROI is high enough for the organization, because not everyone needs to be at the top level of analytics, because again, it's a, it's a business decision. But for those that it makes sense, you can have it. But again, you, you want to be honest, there's a cost associated with it from your culture might have to change. You're going to invest in people, invest in technology, improve your processes. But I truly believe it can be answered, not the perfect answer, but it moves us in the right direction so that we, again, it's about being good, not being perfect. Because at the end of the day, if I'm better than everyone else that I'm competing with business-wide and I'm far from perfect, I'm probably still going to win because I'm better than everybody else.
Yeah, I think that's a great way to wrap up, Brian. Fantastic advice. Uh, really appreciate you know, everything you shared and the journey you took us on. Uh, and not just to the new normal, but the new, new normal as well. So thank you for investing your time today, Trenton and Numbers, and coming on the show. My pleasure. Thank you. Be well. So there you have it. Hope you enjoyed today's show. If you'd like to know more about our guests today, their bio, and follow up on the resources mentioned during the show, you can find all the relevant links and more at sitnshow.com. There you'll also be able to get access to earlier shows, read the latest blogs. There's also an opportunity to subscribe to our newsletter, which will give you heads up as to when the next show is coming out, latest events, news, and anything that's going to be relevant to help you have a fun, rewarding, and successful career in finance and accounting. And just before you go, we really appreciate your feedback. If there's something we can do better on the show, something that's not working, or something you'd like to see, even a guest you'd like for us to invite onto the show, someone who you think might be able to benefit you more and also the rest of our community, please let me know. You can email me. I'm at andrew at sitnshow.com or feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Just drop me a message so I know how you found me and we can connect. And really, it's our community that will make the show. If we keep engaging and driving each other on, we'll keep on building our strength in the numbers. When all is said and done, if we can do the numbers better and finance better, we'll create more opportunities for ourselves, our friends, our families, our communities and our businesses. So until next time, have a good rest of the week. Take care and let's keep building our strength in the numbers.